Chapter 26 of The Wife of the Secretary of State. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rebecca Case. The Wife of the Secretary of State by Ella Middleton Tybout. Chapter 26. The secretary sat alone in his library, watching the firelight play across the open letter in his hand. Into every life come moments when we pause and review the past. We trace, step by step, our progress up or down, as the case may be. We say to ourselves dejectedly, If I had only done thus or so, it might have been different, and long to go back and do it over again, for we are now older, wiser, and more careful if less confident and joyous. These moments are no respecters of persons. They come unsought to the systematically fortunate as well as the perpetually unfortunate. They are blessed indeed who have eaten the apple of life and found no bitter taste about the core. The secretary moved slightly, and the paper rustled in his fingers. Instinctively he raised it and read it slowly, with the careful attention one should accord an autograph letter from the President. It was a cordial epistle, expressing great personal regard and much appreciation of his services. But it was the concluding paragraph to which he returned, scanning it word for word, as though it were not already permanently engraved upon his memory. It has been with sincere regret that I have for some time observed the gradual failing of your health, do no doubt to the heavy responsibility you have been called upon to undergo. It is only young shoulders that can stand erect beneath the official burden. Of late this has caused me serious apprehension, so much so that I felt it incumbent upon me to write and remonstrate against this needless sacrifice on your part. You have surely earned a long rest. Why not take it? Why not take it? repeated the secretary gravely. Well, he was tired, that was true enough. He had served his country to the best of his ability, and guided the ship of state safely, so far, through some rather deep and turbulent waters. Was his grasp upon the helm becoming insecure? He remembered the trouble in Ecuador, the crisis in Brazil. Now it was Rustchuk. He also recalled the hesitation with which he had accepted the portfolio of state and the insistence of the president. I must have at the head of the cabinet, he had said, a man of ability, in sympathy with the administration. For my own pleasure, I want him to be congenial and well known to me. For the sake of our old friendship, as well as for political reasons, I beg you not to refuse to accept the billet. The secretary's chin drooped forward on his breast, his hand clenched, crushing into a tight ball the sheet of white paper with its blue heading of Executive Mansion, as he sat motionless while the moments passed unnoticed. Finally he rose and went to his desk. "'I should have done it myself,' he murmured as he took up a pen. "'He might have waited a little longer.' 
the secretary was indeed tasting the bitterness of the apple. Meanwhile, a subdued bustle had arisen in the hall without, accompanied by a ringing of bells and a general air of suppressed excitement. Mrs. Redmond issued hurried but emphatic directions, while the servants hastened to obey, wandering greatly, while Lyndhurst stood, hat in hand, in the drawing-room waiting to depart. "'Would not a hospital be better?' he suggested as Mrs. Redmond returned from an interview with the housekeeper. "'Oh, no,' she said positively. "'He must be brought here at once. Mr. Redmond would wish it, I am sure.' We are indebted to you, Mr. Lyndhurst, for letting us know so promptly. Mr. Lee's unexplained absence from the department has caused my husband great anxiety. Lyndhurst hesitated perceptibly. He had more to say, and scarcely knew how to say it. I ought to tell you, he began, why I was looking around the Octagon House tonight. No, she replied quickly, don't. It is not necessary— and I do not wish to know. Mrs. Redmond, said the young attaché suddenly, I, well, there is something. You are Miss Bird's friend, are you not? Her closest friend? Her friendship is one of my pleasures, Mr. Lyndhurst. He produced his card case and opened it. On the floor, he said reluctantly, beside Lee, I found this. Mrs. Redmond uttered a surprised exclamation, and held out her hand for the ring. "'You think,' he said anxiously, "'that it is surely hers? There might be some mistake, some strange coincidence. Such things do happen.' But Mrs. Redmond shook her head gravely. "'There is no mistake. I am too familiar with it. See, the claw of the setting is slightly bent. Isabel's ring.' How very strange! I thought, he said, his eyes upon his hat, that perhaps, as you are her friend, you might return it without telling her who found it. No doubt she is anxious over its loss. Mrs. Redmond was turning the ring over in her hand with a puzzled expression, and made no reply. She had that afternoon stopped at Senator Byrd's, and received a hurried confidence from Isabel, over which she had rejoiced openly. "'The carriage is ready,' announced James at the door, and she roused herself abruptly. "'You are very good to trouble yourself about this,' she said gratefully. "'I had them telephone for everything necessary. The doctor and nurse will meet you here, and everything will be ready. As to the ring, well, I will return it, and I am quite sure, Mr. Lyndhurst, that Miss Bird will be as surprised as ourselves to learn where it was found. She extended her hand, and Lyndhurst took it quietly in his. Mrs. Redmond, he said earnestly, if I can ever be of any real service to you, believe me, I shall be very glad to do what I can. She did not reply, and he continued, I'm rather a bungling fellow, you know, and sometimes I run plumb into things I had much better keep clear of. The only thing I can do then is to back out and say nothing, but I can always be depended upon to do that. I'm rather an expert in keeping quiet and attending to my own affairs only, you know. It's quite a hobby with me, but if at any time... He hesitated, 
uncertain how to proceed, as he felt the hand in his grow cold to the fingertips. "'Thank you,' she said almost inaudibly. "'I shall remember.' He turned aside, hot and uncomfortable, and with an incoherent remark about a speedy return with his patient, beat a hasty retreat into the hall. His self-imposed task had grown most difficult of achievement, and he felt the conviction forced unwillingly upon him that Colonel St. John was indefinitely reprieved as far as he was concerned, also that he would have no report to submit to his chief upon the all-absorbing Roostchook question. Lyndhurst felt for a cigar and repressed an inclination to swear. He cordially detested periods of indecision, and heretofore had not encountered many of them during his career. He also detested becoming involved in the affairs of others, but, he reflected gloomily as he approached the octagon house, he seemed to be in for it this time. The secretary, bending over his desk in the library, heard the front door close without interest. He wrote and rewrote, copied and revised, and at last put aside his pen and looked at the result of his labors. Mrs. Redmond entered quietly, laid her hand upon his shoulder, and looked also, her blue eyes clouding and her lips compressed. I have the honor to tender my resignation as the Secretary of State, to take effect upon the first proximo, and to request that it be accepted without delay. In taking this step, I am actuated by a desire to preserve the efficiency of the department and to further the interest of the government in the present emergency. I beg to express my thanks for the honor conferred upon me by being selected as the head of your cabinet, and for the confidence reposed in me in the past. With the hope that I may receive a speedy acceptance of my resignation, I remain... Your obedient servant, John Redmond. The secretary looked at his wife and smiled. Tomorrow, he said, I will take this to the department and have it put in official shape. Don't be distressed, dear. It's all for the best. But Mrs. Redmond pushed the paper aside impatiently. John, she said with an odd little laugh, you must not do this, and you don't want to any more. He is found. Mr. Lee is found, and I'm having him brought here. Found, he repeated. Found? Where, Estelle? I don't think I understand. He's ill, John, very ill. Mr. Lyndhurst discovered him in an empty house. I saw him this afternoon. Mr. Lyndhurst, I mean, and he told me. I don't quite understand myself, but I gave orders for Mr. Lee to be brought here at once, because I thought you would wish it. "'Yes,' returned the secretary anxiously, "'of course, but—' "'I've had the blue room arranged for him,' she interrupted, "'and telephoned for a nurse to be sent at once. "'We must do all we can. "'And this,' she touched the paper on the desk, "'can go into the fire, for the present at least.' "'The secretary's fingers tightened about that other paper "'compressed into such small compass, "'and he laid a detaining hand upon the draft of his resignation.' No, dear, he said, it goes to the president. Under any circumstances, it goes to the president. Mrs. Redmond leaned over her husband and slipped her arm about his neck. Ah, John, don't, she whispered. Wait a day or two. It's all coming right. For my sake. For your own sake. Wait a little. 
but Mr. Redmond had arrived at a decision while he sat alone in the library, reviewing the past. "'It goes tomorrow,' he said gently. "'I'm sorry you care so much, my dear, but it goes.' She gave an inarticulate little cry and sank on her knees beside the chair. "'Why, Estelle,' he said gravely, "'Estelle.' "'John,' she said, taking his face between her hands and gazing earnestly into his eyes, "'you love me, don't you? And—and and trust me, too. Isn't it so? "'You know it, dear. Why ask me?' "'I'm asking you to prove your love. I've never made a point of anything since we've been married. But now I ask you, beg you, see, John, I, your wife, am on my knees to you. I beg you to wait.' not to send in that resignation. I do not understand you tonight, Estelle. It's because I have only lately learned what it means to you, she continued hurriedly. I've only just realized how things could reflect on your honor. But I know now, I know. I've seen you grow old and ill under the strain, and I can't bear it. I cannot bear it. Something must happen. Mr. Lee is found, you know. Wait a day or two longer. Don't resign tomorrow, dear. For your own sake. For my sake. Don't, John. For my sake. He did not reply, and she paused a moment, and then resumed breathlessly. Just two or three days. That's all I ask. Wait that long. If you love me, wait that long. The secretary put his arm about his wife and raised her gently. I do not like to see you there, my dear, he said. It is not fitting. You are strangely excited. Your hands are cold and your face is flushed. Tell me why this is such a vital matter to you. I thought you would be glad to go abroad, where we could be together all the time. You have often said you wished I would leave politics. But not this way, she interrupted. Not this way. I only want you to wait until you are vindicated, until they want you to stay. Something will happen. I... I feel it. Oh, it's not much, I ask. Two or three days, a week at the longest. Oh, John, dearest, to please me. Listen, Estelle, he said gravely. Since you make such a point of it, I will, much against my better judgment, delay a few days, but certainly no longer than a week. The secretary's mouth set in a hard, straight line and he squared his shoulders as he laid a crushed ball of paper upon the draft of his resignation. At the end of that time, he said firmly, it goes to the president. Whatever happens, and under any circumstances, it goes. Now let us change the subject. I want to understand more fully about Mr. Lee. She gave a relieved sigh, taking his hand in both of hers and resting her face against it. Oh, you're good, she murmured, so good. "'And you won't be sorry. "'I have an intuition, dear. "'Women do sometimes, you know. "'That's why I was so insistent. "'I didn't want you to leave under a cloud. "'That's what you called it the other night, isn't it? "'But it's lifting. "'The cloud is lifting. "'It's very black now, "'but behind it the sky is clear. "'Oh, John!' "'And with a sudden collapse of overwrought nerves, "'Mrs. Redmond laid her head upon the desk "'and gave way to a paroxysm of tears.' Sorely puzzled, and withal a little anxious, the secretary put his arms about her and drew her to the large chair beside the fire. "'Don't, sweetheart. 
he said, unfastening with gentle fingers the plumed hat she had forgotten to remove. Don't. Why, the whole thing is not worth a tear from you. You are tired and nervous, I think, and no wonder. Don't cry. It hurts me. John, she said brokenly, her face hidden on his shoulder, do you think you would love and trust me under any and all circumstances? Under any and all circumstances, Estelle. Because I may put you to the test. Don't ask me what I mean. I don't think I know. I am tired and nervous, too, I suppose. But I've got lots to do, John. Hard work. And when it's done, I'll rest. We'll both rest. I hear wheels stopping at the door, don't you? It's Mr. Lee. We must go out and see him. And I'm foolish, John. Don't worry about me. Kiss me. Now we'll go to Mr. Lee. End of chapter 26